Today's episode of Everything Remade is brought to you by Zegama Beach Records, who've just released the No Heirloom 7-inch, which you're listening to right now. No Heirloom is for fans of L and Emotionally Desperate Screamo. On January 6th, they're releasing the Verse Self Collection 19-23 on those one-of-a-kind swirl cassettes. Catch both bands and many more, including unreleased tracks by Ed Hockley, Terry Green, Our Future is an Absolute Shadow, Gossip, Burial Etiquette, on the Zampler number 22, featuring art by Yuri of Boxuna. A friendly reminder that the Coma Regalia covers comp are available in both the Zegama Beach Records and Middleman Records store. ZBR Fest 2024 two-day passes are still available at zbrfest.com. Welcome to Everything Remade, a podcast that I hope is about growth as much as it is about music. I'm Edie Quinn, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Before we get started, though, I'd like to remind you that we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash human machine. You can sign up there for $3 and get access to hundreds of pages of comics, music sneak peeks, and all kinds of other fun stuff. Patreon.com slash human machine. And now I'd like to play something for you. You're hearing In My Name by In Loving Memory, featuring my pal Tanner Olson on guitar. I've known Tanner since about 2001, when I crowned him the most rockin' person in Screamo at a basement show in my house. something like Conway Twitty or Johnny Cash with my grandpa. Um, I started like working, doing farm errands for him at a really young age. And uh, we would drive around in his station wagon doing whatever errands we were doing. And he definitely was always listening to classic country like Johnny Cash and Conway Twitty. I can't remember a specific song, but definitely those two artists. And then my parents and, like, my aunts and uncles were all into classic rock. So, like, Led Zeppelin and Kiss. Kiss was actually my first concert that I ever went to. Uh, my aunt, my mom's youngest sister, took me to it. So, those oh, yeah. are, like, my, my, yeah, those are, like, my early, er, my earliest memories of songs. I remember with my brother, we would, uh, once we became kind of music fanatics, we would call into the request line and get them to play the songs we wanted to play and be ready to dub them. And so we could essentially get all the songs dubbed because <laughs> yeah. nobody was calling the request line. So 
at a really young age, like um, just all the classic stuff, really. Um, yeah, that's definitely my youngest memories of music. Yeah, my my cousin and I used to do something similar as well, and and then later on it would be a different version of that, but it was it was dubbing the videos off of Headbangers Ball. Mm-hmm. It was like, so, you know, as soon as Headbangers Ball came on, and it was like you're just ready to ready to hit record. Sometimes like you try to record the whole thing, but it'd be like two hours or something, you know, and you you don't want all that, so. Yeah. Okay, so that reminds me there of a very specific memory of a very specific song. First time I ever watched Headbangers Ball, and it was like I had to like stay up late and like sneak out and like listen on like to have the TV down to nothing because like if my parents woke up and saw me listening to that, there was no way, you know. Yeah. So it was this whole thing, and I go out there and like the first time I finally pull it off and I'm watching Head- Headbangers Ball. Um, Slayer Seasons of the Abyss video comes on and I was probably in like a fifth sixth grade at that time and like I had never seen anything like that it scared me but I like I liked it I was into the fact that it scared me and it was so dark and I'm like I just like that was a really beyond like first memory of music when I went to the dark side it was here in slayer seasons in the abyss on <laughs> in like fifth grade it just and and then when i found that then i just wanted to seek out more of that dark heavy stuff that like evoked these different emotions than what you know you're hearing on maybe pop radio and stuff so yeah yeah because all that stuff was on <clears throat> from like 11 to 1 Yep. <laughs> like, you know, the other one was, of course, like 120 minutes, you know, and that was on like a different night or something from like 11 to 1. And, and you know, like I've never been the kind of person that like could sleep at night. So it was like it little – it was like a little more like in my – like wheelhouse or whatever to like stay up super late like that and whatever but like i remember like watching like 120 minutes with like you know my cousins or my friends or like whoever if we were you know if people were staying over and we were watching it and like other people just like passing out like halfway through but uh but i'm just like glued to you know whatever's going on like um yeah i don't know like you know ricky rackman in like headbangers ball or like just whoever was hosting 120 minutes or guest hosting but uh yeah i don't know it's like kind of a kind of a classic era for you know stories like that Um, our whole friends group was doing the same thing like our parents had no idea what we were doing we were sneaking out at night and we were going to whoever's house we could like watch or listen to music at or anywhere that we could like find counterculture, you know, because it wasn't easy to find back then. And like, like we were like the one, like once we got a hold of it, even in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you know, it just kind of like took hold. And so we were always out sneaking out of our houses, going, listening to music, like listening to music that we weren't supposed to be listening to. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it was just this whole like thing. And yeah. Did you have like Here we are now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> um, did you have like a record store or anything like that was it, it, like within traveling distance that like once you sort of like knew like what you liked and what you were looking for that was like 
not necessarily carried the stuff, but but could get it for you? Or was there any was there any kind of like situation like that? So in Sioux Falls, we were really lucky, even though we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. Um, I don't know if you saw that documentary that came out. Uh, I really get into it. It's kind of like it came out last year. It's about kind of the beginnings of the music scene, the underground music scene in Sioux Falls. Oh, okay. So before, like, before our like group of like friends and bands started, like there was like a kind of little one year older class, two year older class of people, you know, who um, like had started doing shows, and so like we had like like at thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years old. Um, we were having like shows like, you know, like Neurosis and Avail and all the Revelation bands, Earth Crisis, Snapcase, Jawbreaker. So I was getting to see all those bands in my hometown, like at a really young and formative age. And then we had another record store called Ernie November. And it was kind of like the hippie like type record store where like they sold hippie like uh, clothes and stuff, but they had like vinyl and the guy Terry Taylor who booked a lot of those shows at the pomp room also worked at that record store. So he would order in stuff and he was really tuned into like all the current underground stuff back then. So basically as like young kids, we just like went to every single show we could go to. We went to that record store every day and like just asked questions or like bought everything that they put out. Cause like, we just wanted to soak it up. And then uh, Brian Lovewrote, who sang in that band, Threadbare, worked there, too. And, like, we all love that band. Like, they played in Sioux Falls and, like, blew our minds back in the day. So we were really lucky that even though we were um, in this small town, pre-internet area era, like, to see shows and have exposure to stuff like that and not have it be too hard to find. So, yeah. yeah, it was amazing. If you haven't seen that documentary, you should check it out. It just went up on YouTube for free. It was um, called what again? I'm get- I really I really get into it. Okay, yeah, yeah. The Architects yeah, of Underage Sioux Falls DIY. It, it's got a longer title, but I really get into it. It's really cool. So that kind of gives the background of, like, the scenes that we all, like, in the shows we were all seeing when we were, like, really young, and that's kind of what, pushed us to start our own bands and start, uh, you know, our own, like we started a more DIY house show based scene mm-hmm. um, that didn't really exist before. And that really like took off. Um, but it was all influenced by all that access that we had as young kids to, you know, people before us who were doing that work. So props sure. to them. So what, like, so go, you know, like we, we, we jumped ahead a little bit as, as you know, one does, <laughs> but like, so you go from like Headbangers Ball and it's like, you know, for, for like, for whatever it is, like, um, if you're seeing like concert footage or whatever on Headbangers Ball, you're seeing something where there's like thousands of people in a crowd and you're seeing like, you know what I'm saying? You, you, so that's what you know. And then you're introduced to these people who are doing this thing that is kind of the similar to what we're doing still to this day. Mm -hmm. Like what's the first time you go to one of those shows like that? Like what, like how blown was your mind? Like what was going on there? 
Well, I think what it made me realize, and I will go into go back a little bit. So I did start playing guitar probably when I was, I don't know, maybe sixth or seventh grade, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 12 years old or so, maybe, maybe a little younger. Um, and, but I, I was not a naturally gifted musician at all. I'm still not, I have to work for it, you know? Um, and, uh, and, uh, but uh, like like so, but I had a guitar, and I knew that I wanted to be involved in music. But because my only exposure to it was seeing these rock stars and stuff on TV, it felt totally out of reach for me. Like it was something that I would never get to experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Like because it just seemed like this mystical thing, you know. Like no way am I ever going to be a rock star on TV, you mm-hmm. know. I don't even know how to play guitar. I can't even like play i don't even know what a g chord is so <laughs> yeah i was like at a, at a young age i was really self-deprecating like that i guess but when i all of a sudden like started getting um exposed to punk rock in the local scene and i went to like the first shows i saw that it was accessible for everybody and anybody could do it and i think like all my friends had the same feeling like we were all coming into it at the same time and from similar backgrounds and like all of a sudden like something that like you know like seemed like a dream like no you can play in a band you can do your book your own shows you can make your own scene and you can it will grow and people will respond to it like once that like kind of like got into our brains it was just like wildfire you know yeah. <laughs> and it's still burning <laughs> yeah yeah it's I mean, I I don't know how like similar you know you're you're like you know um, story is to this, but it's like when I was a kid, it was like my parents you know we was on like food stamps. We was always living in uh, an apartment that was like just like one phone call away from being like condemned. You know, it was like, and I like my my dad played guitar. And it was always like, oh, you you can have a guitar like when you're 16. And I would see stuff like, you know, I'd, I'd be just like worshiping these bands like Suicidal Tendencies, Metallica, whatever. I'd see them and I'd be like, but that, can't, but that like that can't be me because like look where, I, where, where I'm at, you know what I mean? Yep. And then it's like when you start seeing that other thing, you start seeing that that – D, those DIY bands and those punk, you know, punk bands. And then it's like, it turns it over until, well, it's like, well, I don't, not only do I not need to be that, but I don't want, I don't even want to be that. Like, that's not like, this could be more than that. And, um, that was the, that was the big thing for me. I mean, like, I still feel like all these years later, I don't even know what the ceiling for what that more is. You know, like I always just am blown away by like I'm having conversations with like someone that played in my basement 22 years ago or whatever, <laughs> you know, like. And we're still on these similar trajectories yeah. and we're still growing every, yeah. every day. And like, that's what's amazing to me, too. And yeah, I feel that, too. Like, I feel like I'm nowhere. I, I still feel like a kid who's just soaking it all up, trying to learn as much as I can. And I'm nowhere near my limit of what I can do like personally as an artist or what like my bands and friends what we can accomplish and that's like that's a really awesome thing <laughs> like, <Yeah>. it's crazy 
yeah, for sure. It's it's absolutely wild. Um, so you you know you did say you you started playing guitar, and it was like going to the shows and stuff that made that seem like like possible for you, um, like to be a part of this, to you know play in bands and stuff. Um, how long was it until you started like playing with other people and stuff, and you know tr- trying to like feel feel all that out? So the first band I ever played in was like a political punk band, kind of like uh, Born Against, Decano Christ. We love that band Man Afraid from Minneapolis. Oh, if you yes, knew them. yes. Um, and like huge, in, I mean, that, that band is, Man Afraid is like, I mean, if you're from around here, you know, but they don't really get talked about as much, but they, that was like such a massive influence back then and to this day on all of us, like, because they were playing hardcore, but it was emotional and politically driven and just like, you know, and then just the tragic story with mm-hmm. Mike and just like that had never really happened um, with like anybody in the scene back then. And so it was a huge thing. Um, but yeah, we like and I just sang in that band, actually. Um, oh, were you the one that did the vocals on that reunion? Um, no, no, and, tran- and uh, so I played in a band cr- called Transpire, and we were really in- influenced by them and like oh. born against. So we were like, oh, you just sang punk. in the band, yeah? Okay, yeah, yeah. I thought we were still talking about Man Afraid because no, I no, saw no, something about be, it. That would be wild. No, they were just a huge influence yeah. on like my first band that I played in. Yeah, and uh, and so yeah, and I I just sang in that band, but I kind of dabbled with guitar on the side, um, and then um, that was probably when I was like. 14 15 years old and we were all about the same age um and like so we like got our our shit together and we were like we opened for like a veil and we opened for like at the drive-in and some really crazy shows like back in the mid 90s like as young teenagers and like a lot of those bands like were really stoked that we were like so young and going so hard and like they would take us under their wing and like whenever after driving would come through, we'd play with them in like Sioux Falls and Sioux City. And um, so, yeah, like we were really lucky at a young age that the older people who are in like, you know, um, not positions of power, but in really pop- popular bands didn't gatekeep. Yeah. Like they were super open and, and accepting and like would take us under their wing and show us what's up, you know, and take us on tours and um like yeah like we're just super lucky to experience that so um yeah so that was the first band that i sang and then i started playing guitar and after that um we started spirit of versailles and that was just influenced by like what we were calling back then emotional hardcore, chaotic hardcore. Mm-hmm. And then we were, um, Song of Zarathustra was probably the first Midwest band that really was like doing that sound. And so we were all super influenced by that band. And uh, yeah, like from there, it just kind of took off um, uh, with that whole style of music. And house shows and just the community driven aspect, the support your friends, support your friends band uh, aspect to the scene. Like we really pushed that hard. And so, you know, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's wild. Um, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. (laughs) 
I don't know where to go when you when somebody's like, yeah, the first band I ever played guitar in was Spirit of Versailles. Like I, <laughs> I've said before, I've said if you have not ripped off Spirit of Versailles, are you really a screamo band? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I I was I was listening to like some stuff like I was listening to a bunch of stuff like from different parts of like, you know, your catalog as it were. And, um, I put on the, um, is dead. And I was like, I've, yeah, I, I, yeah, I borrowed a thing or two from that song for sure. I, uh, <laughs> um, so it's not all, uh, it's not all Will Killingsworth that I've stolen from, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we were really like when we started spirit, like we had like really specific influences that we were trying to draw from. Like we were really into frail. Yeah. And we were really into portraits of past. Yeah. And Honeywell and like, uh, the San Diego stuff, like swing kids mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, um, we were just kind of trying to like funnel it into like our own vision and our like our limited technical capabilities and like what we didn't know is kind of how it like all came together into its own little thing like yeah (laughs) yeah yeah here's something that i don't know if, if there's really a good answer to this you know because like this is a long time ago and and like this is probably like one of your first recording experiences or whatever but um i can't remember which release it is but there's a release of yours where y'all panned the bass and the guitars like hard right and hard left like what was was that a this conscious decision like on y'all's part or was that like the engineer or like what was the it, were was it just difficult to get the kind of separation that you were looking for in the instruments like so back then we didn't know anything about recording technically um like the first demos some of the demos and stuff that we did we just did those ourselves with a task and then sticking mics in the room mm-hmm. and um but then like some of the like the actual seven inches and in records we went to a local studio um, the, like really one of the only studios in the Midwest that was like just a small affordable studio. Cause back then they were just like recording gear. Wasn't a thing that just oh, everybody yeah. had, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was only one place and it was this older gentleman who like recorded classical music and he was involved in like the Sioux Falls symphony, but like punk and hardcore bands from all over Sioux Falls in the Midwest area would go record with him cause he had, the capabilities like in a big live room and good gear but he didn't really know the scene at all so i think that that was his interpretation of like we were uh just one guitar and one bass and the bass played a really lead distorted sound too Mm -hmm. so i think he was doing that just because he thought that that sounded best melodically like almost how you would pan two guitars but we didn't ever be like we were, uh, but it's funny because that was the Misfits thing. But he definitely didn't know the Misfits at all. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you. He was just, I think that that was how he thought it maybe sounded best. Yeah. And it's funny because it kind of did then come to kind of define that sound too. But it was a total accident from somebody who just like was interpreting what these like crazy kids were coming in and doing like yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i've been with like, him so many times it's funny over the years and in different bands and he was always a pro and always so like good natured about it but yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
said it was like it, it was kind of like this big live room and I, I could see that now like when you're saying like yeah this is the first exposure so like he's standing in front of you playing the songs and it's like that question of like how you pan the drums out do you pan them from your standing in front of the drummer and listening or are you stand are you panning them from the drummer's point of view and I'm always the person I'm always like pan it from the audience because the drummer is just one person why does the drummer need to hear the drums back the way that the drums they sound behind the drum kit like literally everyone else in the entire world hears it the other way right so like I'm pro I'm pro audience mixed too for yeah. sure so that could have been and his thing like he's standing in front of y'all listening to y'all play and the bass is coming on one side coming hard coming hot on one side it's coming the guitar is coming super hot. distorted and, like mid punchy yeah. tones that are almost like guitar yeah so yeah that i mean that that makes sense as, as far as like you know just like well this is how i'm hearing this so i suppose this is how we're gonna do this but yeah, yeah and it was all done live in a room well like we had some stuff in isolation booths but we were all live in a room through headphones mm -hmm. um and like that's where we did the unloading memory record that's where we did some examination of the recordings. That's where they did a whole bunch of Spirit of Versailles, Saqqara, Sinking Steps, all the Sioux Falls and Midwest bands recorded there. Like, And it was cool because really he kind of just captured what we sounded like in our room at the time. He didn't really overproduce us or anything. Mm -hmm. And so he did a good job having no context for the scene at all. Like, yeah. And it's funny because he's essential for documenting so much of that music. His name is Scott Farragher at Hearsay Studios. Yeah. I'll give him props. And this is actually a little heartbreaking story. So um, in Loving Memory was lucky enough that Stephen from Init Records save our master tapes from when we recorded there. So this year we actually went and transferred them off the ADAT and were able to remix like our whole record, the whole In Loving Memory record. And it sounded great. And, like, there's so many bands who recorded there who um, don't have the master tapes. And I contacted him, like, last year. And I said, hey, I don't suppose you still have, like, you kept backup copies of masters of all that stuff. And he said, well, I did until about three or four months ago. And I shut down. I put word out. And anything that didn't get claimed, unfortunately, went into the trash. So he had backups of every band. Oh, my it. goodness. It probably all ended up in the trash, unfortunately. Like, yeah, just like <laughs> yeah. A, little, a little bit late. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I was like, I, I was like, I almost didn't want to tell anybody about that because, like, <laughs> there were so many bands who would, I, they would love, I'm sure, to be able to go back and do that. But yeah, yep. yeah. Oh, I guess that if I, mean, I, I thought about it forever, I should reach out and. I guess that's a, be proactive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no time like the present. Yeah, yeah. To your, um, to what you were saying about like his his exposure is, it, it, it's kind of it's another interesting aspect of that to me is that like essentially um, his repertoire was like growing while your scene was growing. You know, mm -hmm. like every time a band came in like he must have gotten it a little more he was like ah you know at first he's like i don't know what this is the second time the third time yep. and then eventually mm -hmm. it's like yeah he became uh, a, a part of of y'all's um 
you know, footprint there as well. So yeah, that's because really the way it worked back then, like if you saw, like you you would read the liner notes, and there'd be like you're say studio in Sioux Falls, and you'd be like, oh my gosh, there's a studio studio here. That's how we found out about it. Like I remember, like there was a band called Words Not Spoken that was kind of like screamy hardcore before us, and they recorded there with him, and it kind of like set the stage then, and everybody was like, oh, this is affordable, and uh, again, we can do this. There's something that seems so inaccessible when I first was getting into music. Like, oh, okay, you can play in a band now, and now now you can record, and it's just like, it was like mind-blowing. And yeah, so we just like, and then you can press a record. <laughs> you, yeah. can, you can screen print shirts. Like, anything is literally possible. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's wild. Um, so, like, where do you, where, where in this you know, timeline, do you start like actively touring and stuff? And what was your, you know, I'm assuming that was Spirit of Versailles. So like, or you actually said that the band before that would play some dates with like bands that would come through. Were you touring at like 15 and 16 and whatnot? Or was it a little regional? Yeah. Regionally we were, we were like, so in South Dakota, um, where I grew up, you can get your license. Uh, it's a learner's permit when you're 14 because of all the farm kids and stuff need the need to be able to drive. And so I had a license in a car when I was 14 and, um, so did like some of my friends. And so we would go play Sioux Falls. We would play Omaha. We would play Minneapolis, which were all like three to four hour drives. And it was a massive fight with our parents. Like, believe me, (laughs) <laughs> like, like it, but we, we were all straight edge though, which I think really helped. Like, uh, like they didn't have to worry about us at least going out and doing drugs. Yeah. But that's like, they, pretty... they thought we were going to get killed though, you know, and yeah. but we did get lucky sometimes. So like they were kind of right, but like starting at like 14, 15, 16, we were driving around, not only playing, but going to regional shows like. We'd find out about a show, a basement show up in Minneapolis and Omaha, and a lot of those would be sneaking away too, like not telling, (laughs) and spending the night somewhere, and like I'd be the one driving, you know, and like we were also doing that. We were throwing house shows in our basements when our parents would go out of town, like having like crazy house shows, like, um, and yeah, so uh, we were driving and started doing that. But Spirit was that, that that was just regional within a few hours. But mm-hmm. then Spirit, um, by that time, Billy and I, the singer, we were the oldest. We both moved out when we were like seventeen, and like had like full time jobs. And like I graduated early, and like we got a punk house next to the bagel shop that I baked at, and that's where this original 605 house where we started throwing all the first house shows there. Um, but, um, that was about 97, 98. Uh, and then, yeah. So in 1998 spirit started doing our first tour. We responded to an ad in heart attack from somebody (laughs) who was just like a label in Florida looking for bands, emotional, hardcore. And we're like, Oh, and so we just sent them our demo spirit of our side demo. And it was this guy, Hal, his label was Forever Escaping Boredom. And he was like, yeah, I'm super into this. I want to put out your 7-inch. And so um, we agreed to do that 7-inch. And he also set up this uh, fest in Florida called the SRQ, Sarasota Punk Fest. 
Um, actually, no, I think it was in Bradenton, Florida. But uh, yeah, so we drove all the way down. Um, our first out-of-town show is Spirit of Versailles. We drove from South Dakota to Florida in the dead of winter in a $300, like, shag carpet 70s van that we bought. <laughs> like, never even took it to a mechanic. Like, I don't think we had insurance. Our drummer was, like, 14 at the time. Um, we got pulled over outside of Missouri, and the cop was, like, looking at us, like, 14, 17, 18-year-old. And we had a note from his mom saying it was okay that he was with us to go to Florida. And the cop was looking at us so confused. And we're like, we would always be like, whenever we get pulled over, we'd be like, no, it's cool. We're straight. Edge. And we'd like show them our tattoos. And they'd be like, what's that? And we'd be like, we don't do drugs, man. We're just a band. We're like out here to play music. And he let us go. And we went down to Florida and we played this fest with like Reversal of Man and um, Newman Portentum. And dystopia, and uh, portrait, and you and I, and just all these amazing bands, and it was just like mind blowing. And like we got this crazy reception, and people were super into it. And so that was the moment, like, oh, we can do this, and we can now leave town and do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like, like go to these far away, like foreign, distant lands. Like Florida was like the South Dakota kids, like it was warm in the middle of winter. Like it blew our minds. Like, and so that kind of started that whole touring addiction. So like after that, we set up a tour that summer. And since we met like everybody in reversal on man down there, they like put us on a bunch of shows that they were doing with the combat wounded veteran tour. And so we did like four shows with them. And then we did like four shows with Seisha and then we did like four shows with Orchid and Jerome's Dream, like all when we were like teen, young teenagers, our first tour, you know? So like I go back to this, but like I was so lucky. We were so lucky like to be exposed to all that stuff at such a young informative age, being from the middle of nowhere. Like I don't know how it happened, but it did. <laughs> yeah. And were you booking them like in your town? Is that how you got to know them? Or did you meet most of them at that one show? And then it's well, the, that, that show there, that show, that fest is what started it. So yeah. we, um, but yeah, once we started booking shows, then in our house at our basement, it just took off even more. And so like in our basement, you know, we had like reversal of man combat. We had the locust Tristeza. Highballed. We had Mastodon in our basement. Uh, like all, just uh, like at the drive-in, didn't play in our basement in Sioux Falls, but they played like other basement shows there, and just like it was just like crazy show after show after show. Drones, Dream, and Orchid in a living room, um, and this was all happening in a really short time frame. I should say though, too, like a year to a year and a half, um, and. Like I, we, we talk about that a lot and then loving memory when we get together now, how back then, like everything happened so fast, but mm -hmm. there was so much of it and it was so intense. It felt like living like a lifetime yeah. in like a few years. And like we accepted that it was fleeting and totally impermanent. And it was like, it meant everything to us, but we were also ready to just move on so fast to like strange dichotomy there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was like, I mean, <clears throat> I moved into that house uh, 
in like 99 and I did I did shows like after like 2001 or whatever but not nearly as many so it was really like two years and it was like the the amount of bands that came through and just like the people I met was just mind-boggling it was just wild but um so the last time did I see you in person like was it exam and book of dead names and like some other bands like that in your basement yeah. you remember was that the show yeah i think that was probably the last show yeah that i was there and usurp and um who did did race band and play maybe too even i uh, think no race band had never played my house when i was there so like you you may have played the house that i lived in more than once but the last time mm. that i was that I saw you was when you came through with the examination. And that was the book of dead name show though, too. Is that, I think did so. They play? I think so. Like I, you would think I would, I would know better, but it was like, there was just so many. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Yeah, like, it, and I only remember general time frames. I have to say 98, 99 ish. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, there's just so much of it. Like, it's amazing to think back on that. I get to experience all that and that we're here talking now, you know, and still, still doing our thing. Yeah. <laughs> Like I and we get to play together soon. <laughs> I know Again. that's wild. That's wild. <laughs> I I just like the the wildest thing to me is like how often that I see some I see a band that I sort of like haven't thought about in a little bit and I'm like, "Oh yeah, they played my basement too." Like, you know, it's it's just like all the people that I still do stay in touch with and then there's just like this like you said, you know, there's people that have just like moved on and they're doing different things and, you know, that's all cool and everything too. But it's like, yeah, it, it, there was so much for, I mean, we were doing like a show almost every week and it probably was why we ended up not doing shows after a while. Cause like people just stopped coming, you know, but it was like, there was always a band that needed a show, you know? Um, you can only go that hard for so long before you, you know, burn it out a little bit and then have to like reset and come back to it. And like, for me, it took a really long time. Like I was always playing in underground adjacent, heavy type bands, but, um, you know, didn't ever have an opportunity to come back to this until in loving memory got back together, played and like then doing that and just reconnecting with this scene again, like, like in the modern sense has been like amazing. Like it gives me so much inspiration, like to see what like the younger kids are doing. And they just like remind me totally of ourselves back then. And it's like nothing. I don't feel like they, when we like go play, like we played in Philly last weekend and it was so awesome. Like, like they didn't treat us like we were old people. They're just like accepting and like, you know, we're part of this scene now. And like, like there's so many good bands out there too. Like it's crazy. Like, yeah yeah absolutely like it's it really and especially really in the last like couple years like there's been just like you know people that are like under 18 and stuff just really like getting into it and and make you know making bands that are way better than any band i was in at that age, <laughs> you know? but but like yeah it's 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 really inspiring and like yeah, I don't, I mean, um, we, you know, we, we didn't get to play that fest in Philly. It looked amazing, but we got to play a couple this summer and it was, 
yeah, I mean, it's just like such a validating experience to just be like, well, like, and I mean, nobody even cares about my bands from back then. So that's, 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 that's a whole other story. You know, it's just like, I, like, I'm just this person that, that uh, kind of, to a lot of people, I'm just this person that kind of popped up like 10 years ago. And I'm, I'm older than a lot of people, but it's just like, yeah, n nobody is like, nobody's like, oh, you know, <laughs> like everybody's just cool and, t and everybody talks on the same level, you know, whether you're, uh, whether you're 16 or whether you're, you know, much older than that. Um, I, th I think they're having a lot of the same experiences that we were having back then. And so that's like why there's like the kindred spirit thing going on. Cause I mean, like, I'm sure it was like this for you back then in Sioux Falls, like, and like we like going back to like when we moved into the first 605 house and that punk house, then it kind of gave us the idea that like we didn't have to put up with our parents bullshit anymore and we could just move out. And so like, like everybody who lived in the houses and played in those bands back then, we were all like escaping from something, you know, mm -hmm. and um, finding um, support and empowerment um and acceptance in that scene and like i think that that's like the same thing that that um that younger generation is experiencing now too you know all over again unfortunately yeah yeah um so you know we we sort of we were sort of at Spirit of Versailles on the time. I probably I'm sorry, I probably <laughs> no, derailed no, the no, conversation. No. This is I'm the like way... a hermit farmer, so I don't talk to people that often. <laughs> when I do, I just like ooh, no, no, the tidal wave. <laughs> this is what we're here for. It's um, yeah, I, I, if I didn't do this like every week or whatever, I would hardly talk to people too, because I just I, I deliver food and I have my children and I love my children to death. But sometimes you want to talk to people that aren't your children, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's um we were we were at spirit of Isaiah, and the thing is like i you know i said i was listening through some of your discography earlier and like i just totally was like oh yeah he was also in eclipse of eden like i totally went over that one um and like it's like it's just wild you you've been in a lot of really awesome bands and i would i would love to spend 30 minutes talking about every <laughs> single one of them but we'll just kind of go through it so eclipse of eden and then the examination and we talked about that before that's sort of where we met and stuff um now y you talked before about like you know slayer was like one of the first bands and you've mentioned neurosis and um i don't know on the timeline i'm not like I I have listened to a lot of Neurosis, but I have not listened to Neurosis a lot. Like mm -hmm. let's put it that way. So like examination of the when I was listening back, I was like, oh yeah, this like this band is one of the bands that I can first remember embracing that like longer, like slower, heavier parts like in adjacent to the other stuff right mm -hmm. and obviously like neurosis is known for that like at this point i don't mm -hmm. know where on their chronology examination is because like they obviously weren't like that in the beginning either so like 
I was kind of like, this is, yeah, this is one of the first bands that I, like, there's a lot of bands like that now. And I was just wondering, like, was that something that you all were seeing a lot of and taking influence from? Or was that just a direction that you were like, we've kind of done this, we've kind of done this, like musically, like you and your peers or whatever, like, let's do something that's more like this. Like, Mm -hmm. or was it just part of part A and part B? Like back then we, everybody in examination of the, we, um, as we kind of evolved our sound by the end, we were bringing in influences. Definitely. That's when bands like ISIS and botch and neurosis and really post metal, I guess what they call now, that's when post metal was really just kind of not blowing up. That's when it was starting. Mm -hmm. And so those shows were happening I mean, like, Isis was playing with Screamo bands at a Legion Hall in Sioux City, you know, and so yeah. was Caven. And, and, like, Examination of that was playing with, like, Converge and American Nightmare and Thrice. And, like, there was huge crossover. Because in the Midwest, like, back then, like I said, it was cool. There was no gatekeeping. The shows were really diverse. And, like, if you were playing in a band and, like, like had your shit together on like a small level, you could get on cool shows. And, um, so yeah, there was a huge crossover like that, but we definitely like from bands like that kind of playing the DIY scene, we're just, we were all just about absorbing any influence that whatever was cool to us and whatever sounded good. And like, I remember the first time I, we were talking about, I was talking about this with some friends the other day. Um, tragedy played in our basement in sioux falls on their first tour right after his heroes gone and broke up and they came in with sun full stacks and that was the first time any of us had seen a band like two good like two guitars multi two full stacks like bass stacks and like they were blowing the power and so we had to run power from uh next door and we finally got it going and it was like the most loud brutal crazy thing and so then we would see that and todd was like yeah you can get these things for like 50 bucks at pawn shops and so (laughs) we started scouring pawn shops and so like and it was the same thing like reversal a man came through playing the vh140c ampeg and they just were so loud and was so heavy we're like oh you got to get that amp and so it was just really like influence upon influence and just trying to learn and suck up anything we could we were just like sponges yeah (laughs) and i still i still try to be that way yeah yeah i can't imagine like what the walls must have been like (laughs) with, with all that going on like and yeah that's wild um yeah, so like, you know, um, sk- you know, skipping ahead quite a bit, and like, you know, this is, this is like, of course, me saying like, listen to all those bands. Of course, if you never have heard Eclipse of Eden, um, the examination of the like, you know, if you're if you have not heard Spirit of Versailles and you're listening to this, I mean, why are you listening to this? But um, like, <laughs> but if you haven't, then definitely listen. Um, but like after that you kind of like uh you started to you you went back to like you know you mentioned that country music was kind of the first thing you remember hearing and Mm -hmm. you you went back to that you you found like a new 
passion for that and you started doing a lot of albums like that um as far as i can tell they're they're kind of solo but you have like you know friends jump on and um i actually tried to go back through that and listen to a bunch of that today as well i did listen to like the last one that you had posted when you posted it um at the time but that's been a, a minute and um i when i tried to go back and listen it's all like the albums are there, but you like scrubbed it from Bandcamp. Yeah, I'm um, kind of like reorganizing all that stuff. Oh, okay. I didn't know I, if I there was like, uh, more story like, there. There, I, there. There is. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Just like, I guess I, for me, I feel like digital music, like uh, in the way people are kind of consuming music nowadays, like in just streaming everything, like mm-hmm. is really taking the personal connection away from it you know mm-hmm. and in the early days of Bandcamp, like um it was really great super diy super like you know like just mostly indie bands on there and then mm-hmm. you know like it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and like it just hit a point where i feel like there's like no the community that i once knew on there like nobody would write me anymore and like Nobody would even, I was offering free downloads and nobody would even take free downloads. They would just come and kind of like low quality stream the songs for like half of it and skip through. And like, that's how people consume music a lot. Not everybody, but a lot of people. And for me, that just became really unfulfilling. And I felt like me offering it in those formats just wasn't like serving what I was looking for, which is direct connections with people, you know, and, you know, making some cool limited physical editions and hopefully having enough support to sell like 30 copies, you know, and just to keep it going on. But it felt like it was getting hard to even do that. And so like, I'm kind of just gonna, I'm going to keep going with my label, but, and then also with everything happened with Bandcamp getting bought out and out by multiple things to where and laying off workers and stuff. And like, and if I look back on it, they've made thousands of dollars off of me and you and other like people from the underground who don't have much money. And like, now we've been left with this company that has an uncertain future and it's owned by probably a company whose ideals are, you know, just another music business thing that don't align with the underground anymore. And they're just making money off our backs. And that's what the internet in general has done. And I'm kind of just tired of it. So I'm kind of trying to find a new path. And it's just like, I'm going to essentially use Bandcamp to announce just a limited physical edition. And if you buy that, then I'll give you the download. Or if anybody writes me, I'll give them a download. But I just don't want Bandcamp to be the middle person anymore taking money, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> it's always like, it's always like, and this is just like, this is just language because it's like easier for people to say. And, and I get it. And I don't, I'm not trying to like condemn anyone that says this, but it's like the Bandcamp Friday thing too. Everybody's always like 100% of the money goes to the artist. But you talked about a middle person and there's always a fucking middle person. And it, and it drives me up the wall, right? Because even on a Bandcamp Friday, does the artist get all the money? No. PayPal fees. Yeah. Because you know what? There's a credit card. There's a PayPal. Like they just they put this system in place and the system is advantageous for everyone of course but like they put this system in 
place. And then, like you said, they just make money and make money and make money. And you're like, who owns this now? This is like a soulless endeavor, you know, to a degree. And it's, yeah, I mean, I understand your points. Like, uh, unfortunately, I think that Bandcamp is still the best thing we have. It is. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, yeah. But um, you talked about. I'm still going to utilize it. I just like giving away free downloads, all that, and just like not even like, you know, not putting out physical editions and stuff. It just, I just felt like it was time to kind of reconnect with like what makes me happy, you know, and like yeah. going back, just coming back to all of this, you know, this yeah. whole scene the connections, DIY, handmade, artistic stuff mm -hmm. um, versus just like consuming something like so fast online and not even really like connecting to it, you know, not reading lyrics. Like yeah. that stuff's all still super important to me. Yeah. So I'm yeah. just trying to find that in and being in a playing in these types of bands and making connections with like, you know, old friends like, you and other people is like what's inspired those changes in me like yeah. on a different level too so yeah for sure i mean like when i want to just mindlessly have music on i just put on like basically like a radio i won't like but when i am gonna listen to something it's like yeah i i need to listen but um yeah i don't know that's like you said that's a very long conversation but uh, Another thing, you know, you did say you, you're trying to make these really cool things. And one thing I saw was like, <laughs> you, <laughs> we, one of your new albums, like you put out an LP and the vinyl has sand in it. Like there was an edition where there was mm -hmm. sand in the, like how, what was that? Like, how did you, who figured out you could do that? Like how, what kind of steps did you have to go through to like, or was that somebody else like sort of orchestrated all this? So the, the uh, label called Den and Wax put that out and mm. they orchestrated everything um, and had the idea like that. Uh, that release was originally just like a DIY CDR release uh. with handmade packaging that kind of looked like the LP. And so they kind of just reimagined it into the LP. But I can tell you how they do the Sandfield thing. Because when I lived in Nashville, I worked at United Record Pressing. Oh, yeah. And we did all, we did all those crazy third-man records and stuff. Um, and uh, so for, those one, for the filled records, they press two single one-sided LPs, like an A and a B side. Uh -huh. And then they, glue, they put whatever in the middle, and then they like glue the edges together and kind of smooth them out so it looks like one record, essentially. So, yeah, it's two single LPs and just... And you put whatever in there, but you have to really like seal it up because like if you put like liquid in there, it can like leak everywhere and like make crazy messes. And yeah, but the person who did that um, for that, I think his name is Romanus, and that's like what he does. He'll do like a small, crazy version of uh, an LP for whatever release that's just really inspired by the music and the sound of the packaging. So yeah, super cool. I was really stoked about that, like. Yeah, that that was wild looking, and yeah, I've I've seen some of that some of that third man stuff, and uh, I mean it's good that he got his own pressing situation sorted because he was like holding URP up for like two or three years at a time. Oh man, for a it was, there. <laughs> they would literally like be like, "Hey, just finished the new Dead Weather, uh, just turn it in now. We need two hundred thousand copies in a month." Yeah, you know, like on presses that are like. 
no like newer than like 1970 and like yeah i mean like doing doing like when i was working there when vinyl really started to boom in like 2014 15 16 mm-hmm. like and like lana del rey wants a quarter of a million copies of her record like and like they would just demand it and like you know the bosses would make you do it because like they had the money and the power and mm-hmm. uh but i will say I absolutely, because I was in charge of doing all the test pressings and getting all that stuff done, I absolutely moved punk and DIY and independent releases into the front of the queue against bosses' wishes all the time. <laughs> and if friends had friends' bands had their records came through, I'd turn that stuff around quick because I hated that shit. You, you'd uh, just be like, look, it's just 500. <laughs> yeah. We'll get these 500 out, no problem. Then we'll get back to... Um, you know, Lord or whoever. Um, oh, I, I do. I, I did all that. Britney Spears, Beyonce, uh, Taylor Swift, 1989. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. I, I think sometimes like about how, like, you know, every record that I see on Instagram with like the words Coma Regalia on it, like almost every record has like been in my basement and like, I've physically put that in a package Mm-hmm. to go wherever and like that's that times like one million like wh- when you're talking about like taylor swift or whatever where you where you're like yeah i i pressed those you know like yeah it's it's wild it was a really good it, it was a really good experience but you know again it had a shelf life because they just worked us so hard like we ran seven days a week 24 hours a day wow and we would press thirty-five thousand records a day like wow edits like i mean that was maximum sometimes we'd like make massive screw-ups though like wrong label on the wrong side of like justin timberlake and twenty-five thousand records would have to get recycled and scrapped and pull the packaging it would be crazy oh, wow. <laughs> yeah but wow. yeah it was a fun experience but got away, nah, got i didn't away. i didn't like dealing with the like the the major label people were like not respectful to workers, of course, really abusive, demanding, you know, entitled, all the things you can oh, imagine. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure.
you ended up like obviously not stay, staying in Nashville and then when you like did you move back to or like did you move to where you are now because you were gonna start like doing like the f- farming work that you do now or or did that happen like once you moved back well I guess kind of going back to your question before like when I kind of got into country and folk and bluegrass like I moved from um um, I lived in Colorado for a while and then I moved to Nashville and I went to school there for like music technology, audio engineering. Um, but then I also took like songwriting classes and basic theory and publishing and copywriting, uh-huh. kind of just l- learned everything, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and I really wanted to soak up and learn traditional music forms. Cause up to that point I was just totally self-taught and like, I did pretty good, but like I literally didn't even know what chord I was still playing. I played totally by ear Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to, and I was super interested in recording and I just wanted to get that technical knowledge to be even more empowered, you know, as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to Tennessee to go to school and to learn and like going there and just being around the music culture of the South and going to school there was like huge for me. Because all it really did is it gave names to stuff that I was already doing, like naturally. It was cool. I just had a language. I had a language then that I could communicate in, and I like had reference points and like learned to record and do that stuff. So I was down there for like seven or eight years, just like learning and soaking it up. And I started farming on the side down there, but essentially I kind of just got priced out of Nashville as it got more and more gentrified, and. After being in Colorado, which got gentrified and I got pushed out in Nashville, gentrified, I'm just like, I want to go back home to the Midwest, live a simple, easy, cheap life and farm. And at that point, I'd been touring for like 20 years, like literally um, playing 100 shows probably a year. And uh, my dogs were getting old and I just wanted to go back home because I'd been away from home for like 20 years. And that's where I've been now for the last eight years, just a uh, farm and, and all my old dogs died. And now I'm <laughs> playing in a band again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how does that conversation start within loving memory? So that's, uh, Jordan as the other guitar players kept the dream alive for like, it's been in the works for like 10 years. Um, and just was never like the right time because we all, you know, kind of went our separate ways back then. And like we were, you know, still playing music and still artists and still involved in the scene, but kind of adjacent and in different areas of the country. And we'd see each other randomly every now and then. And um, yeah, but like about 10 years ago, Jordan was like kind of pushing for it, but it was a long time. And then during COVID, um, I moved from, I'd been living near Omaha, but, uh, I moved over the river here into Southwest Iowa. So I'm only about an hour and a half from Des Moines, which is where three of the other members from In Loving Memory are. And so it was just kind of like right time. And Joe, our bass player had just moved back home. And so four out of six of us were all of a sudden in Iowa for the first time in like, you know, 20 plus years. And so the conversation just got going during COVID and Jordan was like, I remember he's like, uh, can we still play these songs? Can you figure them out? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it, man. 
And so I uh, spent like a week just relearning them, and I sent them some videos. I'm like, we can totally do this. And that was still, like I said, that was at the end of the end of when COVID was still pretty bad and everything was still locked down. And so we're like, realistically, it's like two years out probably. And we were talking about how that seems so far away, and we're like, yeah, it'll be here in no time though. And now, like now, here we are. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it just kind of started just like from just online conversations and we have a group chat going on Facebook messenger mm. and we just like, you know, do a lot of like, we're always you know, in communication with each other online and we've kind of embraced working on songs virtually and doing demos and sending stuff back and forth because we can only practice in person limited times. And it seems like you kind of do that same stuff like with your oh, yeah. like recording projects and like, I wanted to say, I want to throw this out there, like, to you or anybody listening, like, I love no, collaborating. just me. <laughs> <laughs> just me. <laughs> I, I love collaborating. I love working on stuff. Like, I, I'm mostly a guitar player, but I can do lots of other stuff. I got keyboards and drums. And yeah, I let's do something. So I'm all about collaborating and just, like, you know, like, always being creative and like i'm recording every day on my own anyway yeah. you know like just like what i do for fun and i love doing it with other people and creating like long distance projects is pretty cool so yeah for sure um did you think that like did you have any doubt like in like when you go from playing like you know, like the stuff you've been writing, like the more like bluegrass country stuff to back to playing like, you know, you said that other people were like, can we still do this? Like, had you been still just like playing old songs here and there? Or was this like, what was that like coming back to this? In that so way? I played in um, like a kind of heavy, it was like heavy country folky doom stoner rock band called across tundras for like a long time and so that was pretty adjacent like underground heavy music and so i was playing loud in addition to the country and folk stuff um and like learning traditional instruments and just acoustic guitar and stuff i was still playing in like loud heavy bands and um at like uh band practice i would always like bust out old screamo riffs and Everybody else would be like, what's that? And I'd, you know, I'd tell them about, like, the scene and stuff and those bands. And so, like, it's always been there, like, in the back of my mind that it just had to be the right opportunity, you know. And when I left Nashville, like, after getting all that experience going to school, working at United Record Pressing, like, touring heavy, like, and, like, by this time, playing more bar shows and stuff, like, doing that kind of circuit, um, like, I was very disenchanted because of my roots, like, in DIY, punk, and hardcore, because the business aspect of it just sucks all the fun out of it. And when I came back here, I was like, I'm, when I connect with music again and when I get back into it, I'm doing it the way I used to do it. I'm yeah. not going back to, I, I'm going to take what I learned from there, you know, cause I did learn a lot, but I have no interest in being involved in those type of, in the music business world. I just want to do it like, because I love it and it's a passion 
to create with my friends and anything good that happens, you know, when you're doing that, you have expectations and then like the expectations can ruin like the creative process when it doesn't go exactly how you think or you don't get what you think you deserve. And that's just a toxic mindset that when I was in Nashville, even though it was really positive, I saw myself falling into that trap and I was like, I got to move back to the Midwest and cut that out. And I have, and I'm so much happier now. (laughs) Yeah. So like, yeah. In loving memory, it was just the perfect situation to come back to it. And especially because, um, like all the other bands I played in, I felt like we kind of like had our run and, got to do quite a bit of stuff, but within loving memory, they're a few years younger than me. And so like I had already been touring and experienced that and like wanted to do that, but they just couldn't. Um, we'd like, we toured around the Midwest and stuff or we'd go out for weekends, but like they just couldn't go out like we were doing. And so that's kind of how exams started. And so I kind of am responsible for (laughs) in loving memory breaking up the first time because I moved back to Sioux Falls and we started exam and, uh, you know, started touring really hard. So in in loving memory, we really had like unfinished business (laughs) and we had all these things that we didn't get to experience together. Like, you know, we got to play a lot of great shows, but we never got to play like Philadelphia like we did last weekend. Yeah, so I saw that. That was finally, the first like, time. I was like, "That's do wild. these things as a band for the first time." Like with it's it, that that feels really right. You know, it doesn't feel like this forced reunion or anything like that at all. Yeah. Well, another thing I was going to remark on too is that um, I don't know if y'all had like a show or 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 you know like maybe even a couple like oh we're back shows or whatnot before that, um, but um. You know, a lot of bands that are doing like these reunions and stuff, and they're they're on a strictly like no new music basis. But mm-hmm. that was like pr- the first thing for y'all was like we're putting new songs out, mm-hmm. like, and like how important was that to, to to you or or the rest of the band if you could like if you you know can speak to, on that um, that you like not only like come back but but you like you're ready to like write new songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's actually, it's funny you bring that up because it's something we're constantly talking about. Like, like, um, just, you know, with our creative process and trying to be an int- intentional and true to everything. And when we came back, like what we kind of decided is that we didn't want to be a reunion band. Like at first, like that was kind of the general idea, but when we got together in a room and played, and it clicked so fast and it felt exactly the same as it did. We knew we could do a lot more and everybody was really motivated to do that. And so we wanted to just be another band like in the scene, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you look at what bands in the scene are doing right now, they're just like, they're releasing split seven inches and split LPs and they're like collaborating. And so we really, it's important to us that like, um, you know, were like part of the scene and that again going back to like when we played philly um about a week and a half ago like we went there and we we didn't know what to expect we have no idea like you know like this is all like blowing our minds that people still care and not only care are like super passionate and supportive and like so nice to us like 
so when we played there, like the response was crazy and everybody was just like so into it and it was such an emotional experience. Like, and like we didn't know what to expect and like feeling like we were accepted, you know, by that new scene mm-hmm. was just a really powerful thing for all of us. And I think that a lot of those maybe bigger bands that are reuniting, like are maybe like, they're good, but maybe they're a little bit disconnected from that. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, bands like page 99 and Satia that, I mean, they, they've come back and they've been like, we recognize that people want to see this and we're going to take all the money that we make like, and put it towards something Mm -hmm. awesome. And I, I have like nothing but great things to say about that aspect as well. And like, you know, I'm not, like it's it's a weird thing, right? Because you're talking about like, um, there were shows back in the day where any of our bands w- w- would play, and there'd be lots of people there, and and the feelings are all like how we've been describing. You know, it's like all this camaraderie and like t- togetherness and stuff. But then there's like so many other shows where you're just on tour, and it's just like everything is weird. There's not anybody there and so the allure like (laughs) that somebody cares about the music you made and there would actually be people there to watch you play like i get it you know (laughs) like because because you're like finally somebody somebody cares about those songs that we wrote or whatever you know like so this is never me saying like there's like um like not uh, uh, like that I don't understand why people would want to do that but like you know other than like you know y- uh, you all in Jerome's dream like you know no one's like put, putting new songs out and like mm-hmm. I guess so- sometimes it it makes sense because sometimes like it's not always that great you know but like I mean Portraits of Past is like the exception right and, mm-hmm. well I mean City of Caterpillar also released a very good new record but um yeah, I don't know. The longer I think about it, I'm like, no, people are putting out good songs. But uh, mostly it's just, yeah, um, like bands will come back and play their old songs. And that's awesome that people that didn't get to hear them um, get to hear them. Um, but, um, yeah, I thought that was like really like, hell yeah, like that's like you're putting like your best foot forward. You're like, we're going to have these new songs and like... Um, it felt like, you know, in a lot of instances you didn't uh, miss a beat, which was, which was amazing. Um, we definitely said, we agreed. We're like, if we're going to do this, we're going to go hard. (laughs) You know, like that's what it's about, you know? And like, and I will say going back to that, like, I'm not calling out any specific bands or anything in mind. Like I'm all about everything happening right now. I think it's super awesome. Like, all the bands playing again and people like reconnecting with this music. And then, like you said, younger fans who never thought that they'd get to see, um, a certain band playing these like, um, influential albums and stuff. So like, I'm all about it. Like, um, but like just on, as far as in loving memory goes, it is definitely important to us that we're just like, you know, just another band in the scene and we get to go play these shows and have these amazing experiences with our friends and get inspired by fellow bands. Cause like, that's the whole reason we originally did it. And we don't have any 
I, like I, I know I can speak for everybody else in the band. We don't have any interest in doing it for any other reason than that. You know, if it felt like just like, Oh like, yeah, we can go play these songs and make a bunch of money and it'll be cool. You know? Yeah. That's one thing But like now, like this is like, uh, uh, definitely very passionate, emotional, like, like kind of life affirming thing for us to like come full circle back to this. And like, then, then the response and just having support from people is just like mind blowing. Like that yeah. people still care and remember and like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I lost track of how many times I just started crying like at the last show we played. I was just like, this is everything, you know? Um, but yeah, um, it's it's been awesome chatting with you. Um, I like, you know, I try to keep these about an hour. I've been doing terribly at keeping them at about an how hour. How long have we been talking? Uh, uh, you know, it's like, it, we'll be about a, uh, an hour 15, but it, you know. Uh. Um, but I just like, yeah, yeah. Um, we you I and I ramble way longer. <laughs> yeah, same, same. Um, you and I will get to talk again in a couple months, and yeah. um, you know, that's that's going to be fun. But um, it's also the first time that we've played Indiana in like uh, nearly five years. I was going to say I, it, it. It seems like a big homecoming for both you and you and you, sir. Yeah, it's that's gonna... really exciting. And like again, it's just coming, but like. To me, coming back and having these experiences again and having them feel like exactly the same way that they did way back then. And it's not forced. It's just natural. I think that that's what's really like surprised every one of us like and in loving memory is just coming back to it. It just felt so natural and everybody seems the same and like nothing ever changed. And like it's a a really beautiful thing to re- re- relive that again. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, I can speak for myself that it is definitely like nothing changed. Like I'm still bad at guitar. I'm still <laughs> bleeding and crying everywhere. Uh, <laughs> probably falling on the floor. Um, but, um, yeah, I hit the deck a few times last week <laughs> for, in my mid forties and I'm still flailing around on the ground with my guitar that if I broke, I would be in tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can't afford that. I can't afford to break guitars anymore. Back then I would get them from the pawn shop and like kind of abuse them, but like not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have a guitar that is like super valuable. So that's, but I, but I do have one guitar and I, I used to never play it at shows, but I've been playing it at shows cause it's just like my favorite guitar. And it's a guitar that my wife bought me. It's just like a Epiphone SG. It's like a $250 guitar, but it's mm-hmm. like, I don't want anybody else to touch it. I, it's like, it, the guitar means the world to me, you know, like, um, and like, yeah, so it's not that, it's not that I couldn't. Like, well, right now I can't afford like jack shit. So I could not afford to replace it. But it's like, not that, oh, it's a $2,000 guitar. I couldn't. It's just like, it's irreplaceable, like, because of sentimental value, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a pro SG player, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think it's that. It's easy on my back. I like how it's light. Like, I'm kind of small. So, like, absolutely a less, that. Paul, a less Paul hurts me if I play for too oh. long. And I can't swing it around. <laughs> and, and like I just think that SGs are just I don't think they're underrated but it's like people don't like people don't to me people don't talk about why people play them and that's just like to me it's like 
if you were like, I kind of like Les Pauls, but I also kind of like Tellys, it's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like for me, you know, like that's what I hear. I'm like, that's right in the middle. And I don't know. I just, I, like I, sometimes I play another guitar on a record because I feel like I should, like I shouldn't play the same guitar out of both speakers or whatever. And you get I, that different tonal characteristic yeah, that way. Mm-hmm. I, I do like that. But then also there's always a part of me that regrets it. I'm always like, yeah, but did I have to do that? Like I could have just had this going on and it would have just been like, uh, but, um, but yeah, anyway, like we'll have to talk, we'll have to talk music production and do some collaborative work. We'll do after we get done talking here. Cause that's like, I love doing that stuff. And I, I yeah. love hearing other people's techniques and processes and like reasons why you do stuff. Like I said, I'm just trying to be like a sponge and soak it all up and then take yeah. that and filter it in my own fucked up vision. <laughs> yeah. And I have like absolutely no like actual knowledge like I, it's all just like, we got the computer and the stuff and I just started doing it and kept doing it. And so like, I, it's interesting to me when I go back like chronologically and I'm like, I feel like, and I hit the ground running like pretty well. And then I tried a bunch of stuff that didn't work. And then like, I got to where I am and I get better, but like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I don't really know anything i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> i just keep doing it and learning but um yeah keep it's, tweaking keep twiddling knobs yeah, and it's so I still fun. Have a super lo-fi setup i don't have anything crazy like really what i've found is like the eqing is everything just like to really get a good mix like really learning how to eq specific instruments and mm-hmm. like distorted tones and learning where they reside like that's really helped me a lot. Like, cause like, like, like you, I just started just using my ear and twiddling knobs and like, you would kind of learn little things, but like you kind of develop your whole, whole own style that way. And it's really cool. Like, yeah. Neat. So I've definitely like listened to a lot of your stuff and I've gotten the same vibe. I was like, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the same stuff that I'm doing here on my own. So like, yeah. it's good that we'll connect more about that in the future for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, so, you know, as we're wrapping up here, like what, um, what do we need to like know that's coming up in the future? Like what, um, you know, do, do you have more recordings planned or like, you know, uh, as far as like your more solo stuff, like what's in the pipeline for the next, like, just say year. So like right now I have like two weeks of downtime for the first time in like forever. And I'm actually getting ready to move to a new farm um, closer to Des Moines in like in the next month or two here, um, which is going to be nice to be even closer to where ILM is at. But then I also have like a, like right now I kind of live in a small town and I have some farmland outside of the city and I have to drive back and forth and, like now I'm going to like be living back on my farm again, which is what I always did before. And so I'm going to be doing that. And, uh, in loving memory is going to be really like as busy as we can be given our schedules for 2024. We're playing those shows with you and usurp and, um, we're recording like four new songs. Um, I guess I, I don't know if I can say it or not, but, uh, what two of those songs are going to be on a split seven inch with widow dust. Oh, sick. Um, 
and we're doing some dates with them in California, um, in August. Um, so like, uh, and like those shows are going to be in loving memory, Wolf, widow dusk, one way mirror, like all, all the California, here she lies, uh, uh, all the California screamo band. So like that's, uh, we're going to be just kind of doing some weekend shows and some fest shows here and there. And, um, we're just going to keep, you know, recording new music when we can. And, you know, like, um, trying to be a part of like this scene that's like going off and so inspiring right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, that sounds awesome. Is, is there anything else that we should chat about? Like before we take off or? Well, I mean, like, you know, we talk about this stuff and like our, our personal lives and like, you know, for the last year, like things like have been going pretty good, like in my life, reconnecting with this and like, they were hard before that, like losing like some pets and friends and stuff. And, you know, I always just try to be, uh, cognizant that like, you know, like we can have these positive conversations, but there's a lot of really horrible stuff going on in the world. Um, uh, people who don't (laughs) even have like, like the idea of like playing music and playing in these supportive scenes is like the furthest thing from their mind when they're getting bombs dropped on them. And, you know, we, our country and where we live and our tax dollars and all that stuff is complicit in it and being mindful of like where you spend your money and direct your energy and where, what you support, like it all really like matters and um like yeah like there's a lot of heavy stuff going on that like weighs heavy on me right now and um like thanks for doing that comp for gaza um and that's just you know like it's small things like it's like if you it feels overwhelming like how do you fight back against the military industrial complex complex and corporations with unlimited money and resources like you you can't but we have to like still like keep doing what we can do like with our limited resources and what we do have because it does make a difference and that was my conversation with tanner olson thank you so much tanner for taking the time to chat with me thanks to all of y'all for listening wherever you are as well If you got a second, take a minute to rate and review the show wherever you can do that kind of thing. I love bringing these conversations to you and want to spread them out as far as I can. And everything helps. Until next time, take care and do good things.